This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Canada's Edgar Casey. Remote viewer Dr. Douglas James Cottrell returns to the program to discuss his visions regarding COVID-19, how it got started, how and when it will end, and what a post-pandemic might look like. Coming up in Hour 2, writer, journalist Matthew Swain from Penn State University will be here. He has a brand new book in his Haunted series. This one is Haunted Rails. Tales of Ghost Trains, Phantoms, Conductors, and Other Railroad Spirits. Now, this is somewhat coincidental. Last week, I mentioned that I've temporarily moved my home studio out from beneath the stairs and into the boys' classroom. That's where I am right now because uh, I'm also doing Coast to Coast AM from home. And when I do Coast, that involves a little bit more equipment, another computer, And so I need more room to spread out. Uh, But from the classroom where I'm sitting now, you can hear the train rolling by just about every hour. And as I've said, we are situated about 200 meters from the CN tracks, which is one of the busiest rail corridors in the country right here in Thornhill. And I mentioned growing up in Brantford. uh, A mile from the old THNB line, Toronto-Hamilton-Buffalo Railway. And at night, I would fall asleep every night to the distant rumbling and the sound of a distant horn. A few days after the show last week, I felt compelled, just popped into my mind. I haven't heard from Matt Swain in a while. So I emailed him, Matt, how are you? What are you working on? And he wrote back, Richard, I've been meaning to get in touch. I've just finished a book on haunted railways. This stuff happens to me all the time, more and more, I find Carlos Kajina is my technical producer. Ryan White is producing the live stream. And we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. If you haven't checked it out, please do so. Just go to YouTube channel and search Strange Planet 
And uh, be sure to like and hit that red sub button. We are tantalizingly close to 20,000 subscribers. Now, before we get rolling, I want to wish a very, very happy birthday to the mighty Aphrodite, my lovely bride. Every year, she gets younger, more beautiful, and funnier. She makes me laugh every day. Every day, I would, I would say honestly, without fail, that I have known her. At some point in the day, she will have me in hysterics, laughing out loud. And I'll tell you a little secret. One of the reasons the Muddy Aphrodite and I, I think we're destined to be together. Now, I'm a big Leafs fan, huge. Since the time I was five, 1969, 51 years, diehard fan. And I got to be honest, I miss hockey so much. Uh, but the mighty Aphrodite was almost born in Maple Leaf's gardens, Maple Leaf Gardens. True story. And one day I'll get her on the show to tell the rest of that story. All right, here we are. What is this week six of the quarantine? I have lost uh, track. Anyway, I hope you're keeping well. But where did this all begin? Coronavirus. Was it an accident? Was it nature? Was it created in a lab as a bioweapon? Was someone working on a vaccine and the virus escaped? And then once the virtual global lockdown has finally ended, and let's hope it is soon, what will the post-pandemic world look like? Here to discuss is the man known as the man with x-ray eyes. And Canada's Edgar Casey, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is best known as a trans clairvoyant. He's a spiritual healer, a teacher, published author who demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, the study of consciousness, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, prediction and prophecy. He's one of a select few able to demonstrate all of these abilities and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. He teaches people the world over about spiritual development through the practice of meditation and the application of spiritual principles in daily life. And he is the author of numerous books, including Secrets of Life, The Complete New Age Health Guide, The New Earth, A Prophetic View of Our Future, Conversations with the Akashic Field, and Gems of Wisdom. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back on. I uh, uh, I appreciate being on the show tonight, and I trust you and your family are doing well. This is your introduction. It sounds like everyone's coping okay with this virus uh, lockdown. Pretty uh, pretty well, I would say. Yes, uh, because you know we we're all kind of homebodies. We all work from home. The boys study from home. So as I keep saying, it's it's just steady as she goes with us. How are you doing? How are you f- managing? Well, there's myself and my son uh, uh, lives uh, with me, so we're kind of bachelors and we're making uh, do. Uh, actually, uh, I'm keeping busy talking to friends. I'm kind of uh, in that um, semi-retired uh, stage, and I've been keeping my head down uh, because of the horrendous uh, fear and anxiety around the world, but I am in constant contact with people in Europe, uh, in Spain in particular, uh, also across the U.S. And so I get to talk to my friends, but my income, like everybody else's, is on hold. 
and we're uh, doing quite well. We're comfortable, uh, largely because we've predicted that everybody uh, should have a uh, a stock up of food, of uh, coins, of seeds, of uh, money, not to be in debt. Um, and so kind of taking my own advice, I've managed to do a few of those things. And uh, to have a little extra in the house uh, allows you to feel more comfortable. You don't have to uh, wonder where the next uh, uh, possible rush on groceries is going to happen. What we've seen so far in this uh, early stages of this uh, pandemic, uh, which I predicted on my radio show on Block Talk Radio in the early stages, in which we did something in, in early February on YouTube video, that uh, people are kind of surprised that this happened. There was that sort of the five stages of grief going on. And first there was a denial, then there was anger, then there was, you know, surprise or, or desperation and, and panic. And so we're, we're kind of getting towards the end of that where we're trying to be a little more uh, hopeful and not so much in denial, but the reality of what's happened is set in. So I've been keeping busy. Uh, talking to my friends, and some of them have had uh, losses in their lives, uh, like people in their 40s have passed away. Fortunately, I don't know anyone who has passed away as a child yet. Um, however, you know, there are strange things happening, and my heart goes out to those people in Nova Scotia who uh, were uh, uh, attacked by a, a crazy, monstrous man. And as such, you know, this feeling of compassion and unity and caring for one another seems to be the spiritual lesson and the practice of what's going on right now. So I've talked to a, a dream analyst from Montreal, the Dream Institute uh, recently, Craig Webb, and um, Lex Lonehood, who's the web producer at Coast to Coast, recently wrote a book on the dreamscape and and how he's written an article how dreams are being impacted by the coronavirus. So as someone who, who has visions, um, are you noticing for you personally that they are being impacted, even your dreams, by uh, the, the, uh, the pandemic? Well, I recently had a guest on my show from Rhode Island who told me that he's had some amazing spiritual experiences, visitations, talking to relatives and friends who have passed over, to uh, prophetic dreams where he, uh, in one dream he had recently, where he saw the people in Europe gathering in large numbers on green grass. The grass was so vivid that it was stood out in the dream. And they were all uh, communicating with each other. They were happy to be alive. They were uh, rejoicing that they could be with each other. So those kinds of vivid dreams or visions uh, are happening to a lot of people that I know. And I think this is the time in the biblical sense when you remember the prediction about in the, in the end times, uh, old men will come forth with uh, visions and young men will come forth dreaming dreams of the future. Well, that seems to be what's going on now. But, you know, it's always that psychological uh, in, uh, impact and also the reality that when people are frightened, when they have trauma in their life, when great woe comes into the world, we do reach out to the great beyond. 
And I think that's what's going on now. People are looking through their dreams and through their visions for the truth, the information. They want to know what's going to happen, and they want to know, are they going to be safe? I mean, it's terrible if you're over 50. You have that in the back of your mind that you're, you know, on the front line that this virus is going to get you because it goes after older people. Seems to be true statistically. And people who are in institutions who are there as patients as well as those who are working there, that's like walking into uh, uh, the front lines of any battle every day. And my hat's off to the courage of our nurses and doctors and healthcare workers and first, uh, first responders all over the world who have daily gone into the devil's den and hope that when they come home that they wouldn't be bringing that virus home to them. And so this time of fear, this time of uncertainty, this time of isolation, it's perfect for people to reach up and seek the higher dimensions, reaching up to the heavens above. Prayer is always out there. And of course, when you pray, you ask God for something or some saint or some deity above, and in times of great need, it's usually the case that they respond. And dreams and visions are a way of getting those communications to the rest of us here down in, the, in this dimension we call the world. So, Douglas, the, the one thing that I think many, many people really want to find out, and uh, that is the how this thing got started. Have you attempted to remote view uh, or using quantum meditation techniques, have you attempted to determine how this coronavirus got started? Uh, my friend Tom from Ramstein Regalen's YouTube channel, <clears throat> uh, it was on February 15th he posted of this year uh, the answer to that question. Uh, later on, on March 23rd, uh, there was a uh, most authoritative uh, paper uh, on viruses concluded that what I had said in that video was pretty accurate. If people so on, on February the 15th, you were in a trans meditative state. Yeah. And you, you were asked the question about the to remote view the origin of the the virus. Right. And as I was about to say. Uh, the question was concerning China. It wasn't the world. It was concerning this virus in China. So we were in the early, early stages, which was an epidemic rather than a pandemic. And in that uh, communication, I said that there was a building not far from Wuhan in which there were people who were manipulating the virus. The coronavirus uh, has been known since 1964. Uh, there was a lady, Amelia, uh, uh, June Amelian, I think is her name, in the UK, who actually named the virus back then. So it was being manipulated and uh, uh, experimented on. And uh, in that particular uh, uh, session, I was saying with small animals, it said foul chickens and small animals, which I now have concluded meant would mean bats. Uh, bats seem to be the carrier of uh, many, if not all, of the viruses. And during that time, uh, something went awry, and uh, either the animals or the, vir the virus escaped from that uh, secure facility. It called it a building. 
And recently, uh, in the news, uh, somewhere I saw that there was a building about a, a, a kilometer or two away from the center of the breakout in the city of Ulan. And as such, there it was, a square building that was forecast in that session. As I said, independently, an authoritative uh, researcher or uh, written a paper about it and concluded that it was a mistake, a, an accident. It was not a weapon. Uh, I know some people um, might be out there thinking it absolutely was, but, uh, you know, I've been on the show many times where people have objected to, objected to what I've said, but I'm not giving my opinion. I'm giving what I was seeing intuitively. And so this virus was created in a building in an attempt to research how to destroy other viruses and ended up creating this monster. All right. So that... That certainly squares with information that came out of, uh, I don't know if they were named sources within U.S. intelligence that, that um, quite recently, certainly since February 15th, have said, yes, they have concluded that it did come from that level four uh, bio uh, lab in Wuhan. So, you, But you were saying this, and it's on record. On a YouTube video on February the fifteenth, and people can go back and uh, and, and search that. Um, and now I, so, I'm going to qualify that and say that it was only asking about China. And during that session, it said that it was going to spread out. Hundreds of thousands of people would be affected. About forty percent of the Chinese population would be affected, and it was going to go from Japan to Africa. It said it would go other places, but it was not specific uh, that it would become a world pandemic because the reading or the question was only asked what was going to happen in China. So please don't uh, nitpick with me, my friends, but we were talking about what was going to happen in China. And so far, everything in that uh, YouTube video has come true. Uh, so do you were you able to remote view how it escaped the uh, the level four lab in Wuhan. Well, again, uh, Tom didn't uh, further the specifics, but it kept. Re I think it referred to it twice that it went out the door, or it escaped out the door. It used the term the door, and uh, in that in that cryptic way that uh, it, it talks. It, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but sometimes it drops hints, and somebody should pick up on them, and he didn't. It used that escaped out the door. So there was an accident. Something happened where the virus got out the door. I believe the in a recent dream I had about 10 days ago, this virus is intelligent. It can select people. Now, that might sound absolutely ridiculous. It might sound impossible. But again, from my dream, it was you would go into a room where there's somebody on one side of the room would have the virus. And it would migrate across the room to someone on the other side of the room. And the person in the middle or the people in the middle wouldn't be affected. So I, I throw that out because it came to me in a dream. Uh, and again, I've had lots of little dreams about how this uh, affected this, this virus response. It is temperature sensitive. So if you throw your mask in the microwave, you'll probably kill the germs. And if you throw your mask in the freezer, it'll probably kill the germs. But don't quote me on that. But the virus is, is temperature sensitive. I was told that in a dream. But the fact is that it can somehow select 
people. It makes uh, makes sense where some people are affected, some people carry it, and they're not affected. And I think that has to do with the immune system. That's my opinion. But in that dream or that that communication, that's what I was told. I mean, I went on. Uh, I've been out and I've said to people about other things about using uh, antiseptics uh, and uh, uh, you know. All, all kinds of things to wash yourself when it first came out to 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 uh, the virus is sensitive to antiseptic even simple um, gargling with mouthwash would help but uh, there were specific things as I was saying on my uh, uh, on my Friday night show that are now coming out in their commonplace this was again back in in uh, mid to late February and into early March but that's the dream I had that this thing has some some ability to seek out and find vulnerable people, like from one side of the room to the other, does not make sense intellectually. And certainly you would think if, if there were air droplets going out in the air, it would affect everybody in the room. But apparently it doesn't. But, but it was bioengineered, but not as a bioweapon, but in order to combat other coronaviruses, but it was engineered. So, which is interesting. Because one of the things that we are hearing now is that people that have had it recovered have produced antibodies. And, of course, the antibodies are uh, are supposedly being – could be harvested and then used to help someone else. Uh, but now we're hearing that those people that had it, developed the antibodies for it, could get it again. So, yeah, it does seem to be, um, dare I say, wicked smart. Uh, Douglas, we will uh, take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll talk about what the world might look like uh, post-pandemic. But before we get to that, we'll also find out if you've had any visions regarding when this nightmare might end. Douglas James Cottrell, my guest, douglasjamescottrell.com, the website, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke... There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, remote viewer. Canada's Edgar Casey is with us. DouglasJamesCottrell.com, the website, C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L, DouglasJamesCottrell.com. All right, so uh, before I ask you about, you know, when this is going to end, if you've had any uh, visions or you've been able to remote view into the future regarding this. Uh, what what sort of visions are you getting just in general about um, our future regarding, you know, the pandemic? Well, is this going to get, is this going to get worse? Is it going to burn out? Is it going to be coming in waves? In this book, The New Earth, it has a lot about what's going to happen. And pardon me for being uh, a little... Uh, self-promotion on that. That book was written in 2011, 20, 2011. What's going to happen is that this is a, uh, you know, the Mayan calendar talked about uh, December 2012, right, changing. Well, I've been saying to people, what's eight years or ten years, you know, if, uh, in, in the scheme of a millennium? This is what's happening. The world is changing. The way we do business is changing. We are headed towards a recession, if not a depression. Big business is not going to recover from this quickly. It's going to take a long time. 
there is a possibility of a second wave of this virus coming back. Not necessarily in the fall, it could happen sooner, but it will come back if people rush to get the economy started. The economy is in huge uh, difficulty right now. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time for the medium and small businesses to catch up, but they're going to do better than the big businesses. Farmers are already plowing under their seedlings because they can't get help. They can't get immigrant workers. Um, there's already announcements made in this country about uh, from the agricultural people saying, expect higher vegetable prices in the fall and fewer variety. So we have to prepare ourselves. You know, the readings and, and over the last 40 years have been saying gold, silver coins are things of value and try to get out of debt and seeds and, and gemstones. Well, all of a sudden, Richard, I don't know if you're a gardener, but uh, there are people buying seeds. You can't buy them some places and people are starting a victory garden. That's a good thing because it's therapeutic. But on the other hand, it's the, it's the psyche, it's the mentality that we're moving towards, you know, cooperating and, and growing our own food, et cetera. It might sound simplistic, but that's the direction we have to go. We have to take care of ourselves and come together. So what's going to happen in, in this time? I think you asked me what's going to happen after. Uh, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, there is going to be, uh, again, more uh, cooperation in the world. But again, there are those people who are taking advantage of this situation, and there's going to be a wave of litigation for people who've been gouging and taking advantage and trying to take over vulnerable companies, et cetera. But the people ourselves, we're going to survive. We're going to see more at-home education, more at-home uh, communication, more at-home businesses. Uh, it's been out there, and I've said this myself, really, that... Uh, uh, executives who fly around to do business no longer need to do that now that we have this virtual meeting world. Uh, there's a program called Zoom that's coming out here where people are meeting and it's catching on like uh, a gangbusters where people can communicate with several people at the same time. So we're headed in that virtual reality of being apart but together. And the spiritual lesson here is that we are going to be supportive of one another. We're going to appreciate talking to one another and we're going to love one another in the sense that what's really important is talking to each other, caring to each other. Do you see any serious disruption to the to supply chains here in Canada regarding uh, food? So, for example, in the United States, there has been some suggestion that uh, in the summer there could be some dis- uh, some disruption to the supply of meat. Uh, what about up here in Canada or in the United States? Any serious supply chain issues regarding food? Absolutely. I was hesitant whether I would bring that up tonight, but uh, there is going to be a mysterious uh, uh, disease that's going to go through cattle, dairy cattle in particular. It's not my prediction that somebody else had a dream about that. And I've had other uh, indications intuitively myself. Uh, there will be interruptions, not necessarily from disease or sickness, but also from weather and from volcanic activity. There's going to be volcanic ash in the air, which is going to cause disruptions in the growing season and transportation. The answer to that is yes. So 
again for about the one gazillionth time, uh, please have enough uh, supplies in your house for several weeks, if not several months. Try to have some things you can barter with, maybe lighters or maybe some silver coins, whatever. I do see that on kitco.com to try to buy gold or silver coins that they've been sold out. So people are going that general direction. Toilet paper you don't really need, believe me. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, we had the yellow pages. Of course, we don't have the yellow pages anymore. Oh, well. So the point being is, and that with all kidding aside, yes, there's going to be disruptions in meats. Absolutely correct. What about um, any retribution for China? Because it has been now widely, I think, established that they covered up the, uh, for example, human-to-human transmission. Uh, they said it wasn't an issue. The World Health Organization echoed that uh, time and time again. They seem to be almost covering for uh, for China. And now there is, well, there have been lawsuits. I believe the attorney general in the state of Missouri has launched a, a, a lawsuit against China. Uh, will they be forced to pay damages, which could be in the trillions? The short answer is no. Uh, China has been sending plane loads of uh, PPE and other things to everyone in the world. Uh, everybody's banging on their door, uh, wanting supplies that China has been manufacturing and, and has been, to some degree, supplying just about everyone they could. Uh, China is an entity onto its own. Uh, in order to sue someone, there has to be someone like a world court that's going to say guilty or not guilty. That's just not going to happen. So as much as our American friends can sue in American courts, uh, the reality is that not much is going to happen. The president constantly says that the president of China is his good friend and buddy, um, this is, it's just an exercise in futility. It, it might be psychologically beneficial if people say, yes, they're going to pay. But remember, the story is that the local people in Wuhan were the ones that suppressed this and sent that doctor, I, I apologize not knowing his name, back to work when he broke the story. He became the, the, the Chinese whistleblower. And for his courageous effort of going up against a regime and speaking to power, he was insulted, demoted, and sent back to work where he died. But because of his death, uh, it was the information came out, and the local uh, politicians, if I can call them that, they were all fired by the, uh, the Chinese regime, and they were, they were dishonored. That's about as far as it's going to get. But uh, insulting China right now at a time when we still need supplies, uh, personal protective equipment and other mechanical equipment from them, uh, it's not a good idea, in my humble opinion. Right. Um, will there be a restructuring, though, of supply chains? In other words, are we going to learn our lesson? What do you see in the future in terms of supply chains? So, for example, we are in North America, we are very dependent upon China for the manufacturing of many drugs. Uh, is that going to change? Are we going to learn our lesson here and start producing these at home? 
Well, businessmen are always practical, practical, and they adapt, and wherever they can uh, make some money, I'm not going to say profiteering, but whenever they can make money, and there is a huge demand, they will do that. Now, when there's supply interruptions or when there's governmental interference or the government will uh, to uh, affect export-import, then people locally will do things. But to gear up to manufacturing is going to be very hard. In this country, General Motors is gone forever. After 109 years of making cars or car parts in Canada, they are gone. They're never going to come back. And some of the industries that are now on the verge of collapse or have collapsed, like our oil industry in Alberta, is non-existent now. With oil prices down at $10 a barrel or whatever it was, all the little uh, marginal oil, uh, uh, column oil companies, drillers and, and suppliers and, 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 and the oil patch, they're gone. They're gone forever. And I think I was on your show last time when I mentioned that people, uh, the oil people in Alberta were fleeing to Texas because of the uh, political climate and because of the circumstances. They're never going to come back. So some industries that are we're very dependent upon will need to be recreated. But my image is I see people pumping like, uh, like those old-style uh, railroad track cars where you had two men pumping along and a little vehicle running down the track. So I'm going to take that to mean that we're going to work hard and work together and we're on track. But as we move into the future, there's going to be more uh, specialized uh, manufacturing. We are going to continue to move away from uh, you know, fossil fuels, and we're going to get into not only electric and wind power, but we're going to get into rocket power. In the future, vehicles will run by rocket power. How far away that yeah. is, I don't know. Interesting. All right, Douglas, stay put. We'll take another time out, come back. We'll talk about... The possibility of a uh, a security state, a national security state. Someone would say, well, that's been with us for a long time. But will that intensify surveillance, tracking, mandatory vaccines? My conversation with Canada's Edgar Casey, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, continues on the other side. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Uh, Douglas, how much longer are we going to be in in quarantine in in Canada? At least till the summer. The kids won't be going back to till the fall. I think that's been, I said that right away, and uh, I think that's pretty evident. So in Canada, uh, I think they're going to start to let the brakes off, uh, you know, end of May, 1st of June, and there'll be some capitulation by uh, Trudeau and uh, Mr. Ford, and that uh, people are going to say it's summertime and the cottage country, etc. So there's going to be, because of that, uh, and because the virus is heat-sensitive, I think that the amount of reported cases are going to are going to go down. So I'm I'm saying I haven't got anything clearly 100% set, but I think we're going to be out of, out of this by the end of May, first of June. There'll be some uh, experiments, 
and we're all watching what's going on in Georgia and uh, Florida and those states that are basically uh, taking the gloves off and, and running into the into the wild open spaces right now. And depending if they do well, then it'll help shorten it down. I, I think there's going to be a second wave if people rush into it. But, you know, opening the businesses is one thing, but getting the people to actually go to the businesses is another, and people are, are pretty smart. I want to uh, mention that the kids that are going through this right now, they are never, ever, ever going to forget this time. This is a time that older people like me, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be around for 10, 20 more years. Uh, but those kids that are like 8, 9, 10 to 15 and older are never, ever going to forget this. I mean, those are the people that are going to change the world. And, and I've said this humorously uh, several times on the air. Next year or the end of this year, there are going to be more Capricorns born in the world, the world over than any other astrological sign because of this stay-at-home quarantine. And because of that, Capricorns are business people. So we have a whole generation of business people coming on who are going to have the same birthday somewhere between the middle of December and the middle of January. Think about that, my friends. <laughs> okay. So Interesting, yeah. We Capricorns are, we are, are problem solvers. I'm a Capricorn, and we're problem solvers. That's what I've always been told. That's that's. Capricorns are the absolute best sign. Just because I was born in, at the end of December has got nothing to do with my bias. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but this is this is nature. Nature has been rebelling. Okay, this is nature's way of saying wake up and to shock the people. And at the same time, uh, you know, given the credit that astrological signs have some merit, that there, there's going to be certain influences for Capricorn people coming in the world, no time in history has there ever going to been, will there have ever been so many people born under the same astrological sign? Think about that. So we're going to get out of this soon. The virus is going to be with us forever. This is like the measles or smallpox or any of those other ones like AIDS and uh, uh, where, uh, no, I was going to, I was going to say, we're, anyway, I can't think of it. When, when I was a kid, it'll come to me where we had uh, polio. They're oh, always yes. going to be there, but it's going to be suppressed. So the way out of this is to keep your immune system healthy. Take uh, take those uh, uh, supplements that, that that beef it up, but try to keep your system alkaline, more alkaline than acidic. And you can do that by taking a litmus paper, go on the internet, and find out how to do that. Because viruses have a tough time living in an alkaline. Uh, state in the body. I predicted that back when the AIDS scare was going on and I made a presentation in Toronto. So alkalining your body is is number one. Are we going to get out of this? Yes. Because look what was going on the internet. People were inventing bandanas with buttons on so the nurses could hook their 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 uh, mask on without burning their ears off. People were singing the, and, and from their balconies. They were applauding the, the, the people out in the front lines with from their balconies or they were, um, uh, the fire engines were going up. That's the human spirit that's being woken up. This is a dark time. And Richard, I think you should pat yourself on the back calling this a wicked virus, okay, a wicked smart virus, rather. You coined that tonight, and I think that's accurate. But the human spirit is, is rising up because this is a time we have an opportunity we hear that bell that's being rung and to try to work together. I think that, you know, after 
worldwide, there's almost 3 million people reported, and then there's uh, something like 200,000 deaths because of this. This can stop. But we have to work together to do this. And that brotherhood and sisterhood of humankind that bubbled up during this crisis, during this time of great, great woe, this is what is going to save us. And those little kids that are going through this, that are learning uh, through school, through their computer, and the interaction that's happening electronically, that's making their minds work differently than the rest of us who were sort of, you know, made to sit in a seat in a, in a chair in a classroom. This interaction uh, globally is, is the most beneficial thing. It's breaking down the bias and prejudice. And on many times on your show, and I've made predictions about the future, I said the military are the ones that are going to come to the rescue. And look what's happened. The military's coming to the rescue, not with guns, but with ships and supplies and airplanes full of, of medical equipment. All right, uh, we have to take a we have to take a time out here. Excellent. All right, we'll uh, take a time out. Come back one final segment with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell remains, and uh, just a reminder: coming up after the top of the hour, journalist writer Matt Swain on haunted railways on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. My name is Richard Serrett. Pin numbers, passcodes. Social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Douglas, one of the things that concerns me the most uh, is that a freedom once given up uh, under the guise of security or health is very difficult to get back. And uh, while I think most politicians and leaders are well-meaning, there's that old expression, never let a crisis go to waste. And my fear is uh, that we have been very cooperative, very willing to to give up uh, freedoms. And I think some of them might be a little difficult to get back. And I'm worried about things like, uh, tracking systems. I know they can track us already if they want to, but enhanced tracking, apps and so forth. They'll say, you know, oh, the, a, another pandemic is on its way. We we need to uh we need to track everyone. We need to track the contagion. Uh more surveillance, less privacy than we even have now. Uh, mandatory vaccines, all of these things. What do you see in that regard? I think all of the above is correct, Richard. Um uh, I've seen things in the future where, uh, every you know, like that little cell phone I keep in my pocket, it's a spy. <laughs> okay. Uh, it can tell my body temperature. It can tell if my heart's beating. It can tell if I'm moving or stationary. It can tell which side of the car I'm sitting in. It can tell how fast I'm driving my car. That's all happening now. And so with this idea that, uh, that there was something about having a... Uh, uh, if you if you tested uh, if you had antibodies then then you could get a travel passport. Well, here we go again. Restriction, restriction. If some people can get it for some reason, then other people can't get it for another reason. Uh, you, you, we have to be very on guard. You're uh, you're 100 percent right in, in your uh, suggestions or your contemplation. Uh, I've seen a totalitarian thing coming forward. 
out of necessity, more and more people will give up their, their human rights. This vaccine that will come, there will be a poor one here probably before September. And it'll be like, if you want to go back to work, you have to take this. And so people will do whatever they have to do to survive. Unfortunately, sometimes they will do things that they know it's not right or it's against their will. But we're in a situation now, we're taking government money, and Canada has been very forthcoming and generous with money. Uh, people in nursing homes, I've seen also children's homes are going to be next on the hit list for, oh my God, look what's happening there. And the last uh, group of people, the infirm, the mentally challenged, and things like that, they're forgotten about. But we have our consciousness. We we have to take care of these people. By taking care of them, then we're going to take care of ourselves. And that kind of mentality will get us out of this situation. But I can't see anything positive like, uh, uh, you know, take take the vote that's coming up in November. Is it going to be a paper vote, which would be absolutely the best, or is it going to be something else? People were forced to go and vote in the, in the last election that was happening a few months ago someplace in the U.S., and people reported that they were they contacted the virus. That kind of uh, forced um, removing your liberty, God bless those people who had the courage to go and vote because it was their, their, their right to do so. But look what happened. They forced people to put themselves in jeopardy, and that's going to continue under the disguise, as you so appropriately put it, as you know, being protective or our civil liberties have to be, you know, uh, uh, for temporary purposes, we have to to uh, stop them. There was a fellow in Europe, I, I forget, was he in Hungary, where he has proclaimed himself the uh, dictator or the ruler uh, for um, that he can rule by degree because of the pandemic. That's outrageous. But you're right on the money. That's going to happen more and more around the world. In our country, uh, not so much. <laughs> Well, let's hope. I mean, I find it disturbing that that, that our prime minister is 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 not. Um, it pe- people are. Uh, this is disturbing to me that the fact that people don't think the question period in parliament is important and that we shouldn't have a functioning parliament is outrageous. Uh, there there have to be a way. Why don't they open up the uh, the hockey rink in in Ottawa and and uh, you could fit three hundred and. What's the number of uh, MPP, uh, MPs? 338 or whatever it is. You could fit them in a 16,000, 17,000-seat arena, and for, you know the social distancing would be uh, incredible. You'd have 20 feet around everybody. They have to – parliament has to meet in a, in a functioning democracy, or it's not a functioning democracy. Don't you agree? I, I agree, and you know what would happen? There wouldn't be all that hoo-pa-pa and screaming and hollering and acting like adolescent kids when somebody got up in the opposition and went to talk. That would disappear in an arena like that. I like your idea. (laughs) Seriously, yes, they can have a functioning parliament. They could sit down in their offices and go on Zoom and talk to each other the way everybody else is learning how to do. This is ridiculous to say they cannot do it. I think our prime minister, although I admire him, I admired his father, he's lost control. I think that's what's going on. All right. So, Douglas, you mentioned off the top that you're sort of uh, you're winding things down. You said you're in in semi-retirement. But are you still available for 
sessions with people if they want, uh, you know, a remote viewing session or, or whatnot? Are you still doing that online? I'm not really. I'm, I'm going to. I have students I've been teaching over the last while, including yourself. You've been super on, on the radio shows where you've been able to remote view things. So I'm going to sign up some students should that eventuality happen and sort of direct them to uh, people who are younger and able and capable. I'm 70. Uh, i got to tell you, this, this pandemic time, this stay-at-home time, I've had a life. I can do things like fix something. I've got, I've got a lot done around the house that I've been putting off for years. <laughs> so in all seriousness, I will talk to people uh, on the uh, on the phone, um, but for doing the deep trance um, uh, meditations, and we have some younger people. We haven't got that set up yet. But I would encourage people, you want to know what's going on, I'm going to hold my book up again, and say, go get this book. It's called The New Earth. It was written in 2011. It tells you all about what's going to happen. And the time I wrote it, Richard, people wouldn't, friends of mine wouldn't read it. They said it was too scary. And I said, it's the truth. So we're going to teach people how to meditate. We're going to have, uh, have students who may be able to do readings. And maybe I'll start doing uh, lectures about dreams and visions and other things that go bump in the night because I really like that. But, um, you know, i got to say that... Uh, this time at home has been quiet, but every day I'm talking to people who are friends who are in jeopardy and they need to go to the hospital or I tell them to go because they, they, they don't want to go because they're afraid to go to the hospital. I say, you have to go. You cannot breathe. You've got to go. Three or four people this week and managed to save their life that way. So, But anyway, getting back to the question, I, I don't really want to do deep trance meditations. It takes a lot to do them. Uh, a lot of energy, and we have some people in California and uh, Virginia, and we have uh, a couple of people in Ontario that are able and capable, not just the same as me, but they're coming along, and I'd be more than pleased to refer people that way should they want that. Otherwise, I'm still available on the phone, and people can talk to me, and, you know, and, and I'll... It's, it's, I belong to the Godfather, right? And the only way out of this business is in a box. So I've got to keep on talking and helping wherever I can. And uh, they can contact you through the website? Yeah, douglasjamescottrell.com. And, uh, you know, I do my blog talk radio on Fridays. It's amateur radio compared to your uh, very professional radio. And, uh, uh, again, there's um, uh, books to be bought, uh, all kinds of books. And then... Just about just the end of my life coming up, so I'll do some lectures for the next five or ten years, and that'll be it for me. So if, you, if people wanted to talk to me for a reading, if it's an urgent case, I'll, I'll be glad to help them. But I hope to have in line students that will take over and do the deep trance meditation, you know, pass the torch, like get your Casey to Ross Peterson, Ross Peterson to me. Do you have a successor in mind? Is there one student in particular, and you think this is the next Douglas James Cottrell? I have several potential people who have come up with fantastic things, but I haven't been able to say, ha-ha, that's the one. So I will do like Ross did to, to uh, myself at the time. He sent some people out to me. I, they reported back to him, whether, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, and more people were thumbs up. And so I got more sessions from him. So that's how it will be. There are some very good people out there. And, you, you know, you, you said to, uh, earlier in the show that, you were getting dreams and whatever. Of course you were, because you've been developing yourself 
those remote view experiments we did were fantastic. The one with the airplane that you saw specifically, uh, that the students that, that took my class in Texas, I might have one more class, I don't know yet, but the, the students were very impressed by uh, how you did that, as I'm sure a lot of your friends were. And, um, you know, usually your relatives go like, ah, lucky guess, but that was a true remote viewing experiment where you saw that model airplane on my desk and you were hundreds of kilometers away and you didn't know what it was. So there's potential. But keep track, keep it right, right down in the dream dictionary uh, uh, directory every day and you too will be able to see the same things that I see because truth is available to everybody. It doesn't come down to select individuals. It, it, it's kind of like rain. It comes down to everybody. Most people have an umbrella up and they're not listening. You take that umbrella down and the rain comes on you and you can see very clearly. And you have the gift. Doug, thank you, my friend. And Douglas, when we get past all of this uh, nonsense on the other side, let's um, let's do a remote viewing experiment again, if you're if you're good for that. In the meantime, the website, DouglasJamesCottrell.com. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure, Richard. Stay safe. God bless everyone. May I wish you peace and prosperity to everybody. Good night. All right. Good night. All right. Matt Swain on the other side. Haunted Railways on The Conspiracy Show. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto. And hiya to everyone tuning in on one of our affiliate stations. Hey you, streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca and on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. We are streaming tonight. Strange Planet, the YouTube channel. How do to those of you gathered in the YouTube live stream chat and however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. What is it about trains, especially the sound of a distant rumbling train, steel wheels on a steel track? To me, there's nothing as nostalgic, as longing as the sound of a train horn in the night. The train winding its way through the darkness, connecting destinations unknown. It's it's comforting, it's haunting, and it turns out, perhaps not so surprisingly, that trains and railways can be paranormal hotspots. And for the next hour, that is where we're headed. Haunted rails. Matthew L. Swain is a journalist who currently works as a research writer at Penn State. He's worked as a reporter, as a music reviewer for several newspapers and online outlets such as CenterDaily.com and Music.com. He's a regular contributor to the recently revitalized version of Omni magazine called Omni Reboot. He writes the Anti-Matter column, which looks at fringe science and the paranormal for the online magazine. He's also worked on writing projects with Paranormal States, um, Alfie Music, Balancing Skepticism with an Open Mind. Matt uses his experiences in journalism and interest in both ghost lore and the paranormal to collect and tell stories about the supernatural. He's the author of several books, including 
Haunted Rock and Roll, Ghosts of Country Music, America's Haunted Universities, Haunted World War II, more Haunted Rock and Roll and his latest Haunted Rails, Tales of Ghost Trains, Phantom Conductors, and other railroad spirits. Matt Swain, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor and pleasure. I always look forward to, uh, to speaking with you, Matt. You're wa- such a wonderful uh, story writer. And uh, I mentioned off the top of the show, uh, it was coincidental, maybe not so much. I was talking about trains. And then the day on the show, opening the show, because of, I was reminding people they might hear the train in the studio where I'm at, because we're about 200 meters from the CN tracks, which is about the busiest uh, rail corridor in Canada. Mm. And, and, and I was mentioning how I love the sound of the train. I grew up in Brantford, just a couple miles from the old TH&B railroad, Toronto, Hamilton, Buffalo line. I would fall asleep to that sound. And just, it, it, I would almost be carried away by the sound of the horn and the idea of, you know, traveling through the night in our dreams as a train does to destinations mm-hmm. unknown. A couple days later, your name popped into my head. I wonder what Matt Swain is up to. And lo and behold, you get back to me. I'm working on a book on haunted railroads, you said. Or you've uh, just completed a book. Right, so, right. Why railroads this time? Well, I think uh, my experience really mimics your experience. Uh, I was born in central Pennsylvania. I was born actually in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is uh, some probably would say that it's the uh, capital of of the railroad in in Pennsylvania and maybe even the East Coast. It has a a fine tradition of that. But I was raised in Tyrone, which is a, a little town about maybe 20 miles north of Altoona. And my house was right across the stream from the main line that would go from Altoona to Harrisburg. And, and like you, um, I just, I love the sound of the train. I come from a long line of, of railroad people. My grandfather was an engineer. His father was an engineer. I grew up with these stories. Uh, I also loved railroad history. Uh, I worked with uh, probably uh, his name's Mike Bazilla. He's one of the foremost experts on railroad history. So I, I would always talk to him and engage him in conversations about railroad. And I, he he and I basically came up with this idea because one of the things that we noted was that there was always these ghost stories associated with uh, the railroad itself. And in my own hometown, there were maybe three or four stories that revolved around ghosts of engineers or conductors or accident victims, all in, in this small area. So what I try to do with my books is I try to explore things that I'm interested in, things I want to learn more about, in this case, railroad history, and then couple it with um, you know, the paranormal, the supernatural. I was born on Halloween, so that's kind of the way I roll. But so that's really the origin of of this book. And uh, it, it typically starts out where I'm not sure whether I have enough material for a book. But in this case, I probably left out volumes of what I, I could have and maybe should have included. But there was just so much information out there. Now, I saw a video on YouTube recently. Someone sent it to me. And it was 
this a ball of of light. And I don't know if it was ball lightning, which is an interesting phenomena, but it was a ball of light that was traveling across from one side of a railroad track and across the track, um, sort of up and over. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Is there something about, you know, steel tracks that might generate a phenomenon like that. Have you seen that video? Do you have you while you were researching the book, did you get reports of things that appear to be balls of light around railroad tracks? Well, I did see that video. In fact, uh, three, maybe four of my readers sent me that clip to see what I thought. And it it actually seems a lot like uh, there are numerous, numerous, numerous stories of light phenomena accompanying uh, railroad tracks. Um, I could think of, I know that I have maybe about three or four in the book itself. The one that stands out to me is the Mako light, which is uh, a light that has been seen in Mako Station uh, in North Carolina. And and this is an interesting story because uh, President Grover Cleveland was uh, visiting that area. And he noticed that the uh, conductors had two lamps in their hands where normally they have one. So he inquired, you know, why do they have two? Why not one? I've seen them all have that they've had one before. And, uh, the reply he got was a little shocking for him. They said that they carry two in that area because this ball light phenomena is so prevalent that they want to make sure people know it's really people and not whatever this ghost spirit is. So there are a lot of stories that relate to um, accidents, crime, all along these railroad tracks. And and normally this phenomena uh, comes out as either a ball of lightning. And it, it, it sort of reminds me of that video now, the video to me was so super spooky because it, it seemed like it was traveling along the tracks. Uh, most of the lights that I uh, researched in this book seem to be more like orbs in a certain area, generally described as about the brightness of a flashlight or a lantern about two to three feet above the ground. And, and I don't think I've really came across anything where it almost seemed like an intelligent, uh, as, as that footage was. Uh, it's interesting because in this, with, when we're talking about haunted railways, sometimes we're talking about the ghosts of maybe a passenger or maybe a rail worker, maybe the engineer, but sometimes the trains themselves are ghosts. And you mentioned president Grover Cleveland, who was the 22nd and 24th president uh, tell me about Abraham Lincoln's funeral train. Yeah, that is the the most famous uh, piece of railroad ghost lore out there. And it also reminds me of when I was looking into the ghosts of World War II. Uh, there were a, a few uh, cases, more than a few cases, of ghost planes. And that's where it's not that there is a ghost in a plane. It's that the actual 
uh, plane itself is a ghost. And likewise, when I was researching uh, haunted rails, there are a few stories of ghost trains. The trains themselves are are the phantom object. And in, in the Abraham Lincoln case is, is very kind of a poignant story. But when Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated, he went on a sort of a victory um, uh, tour of the Northeast and the Midwest. And it started in Illinois and went to Indiana, through New York, Pennsylvania, into Maryland, and, and finally into uh, Washington, D.C. And they had planned at the end of the war to do a reverse, to go through this same trail, but but in a reverse way back to Illinois. Uh, unfortunately, as we all know, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. So there wasn't a victory tour after the war, but what there was, was uh, Abraham Lincoln's funeral train. And that occurred on April 19th, 1865. And of course, we just passed the anniversary. But the ghost story that surrounds that uh, is that if you go out Along this path that the funeral train took on the anniversary uh, that it went through that area, you'll be able to see, and it's described in a lot of different ways, but, but probably the most common is that if you're along that, that area or, or near those tracks, suddenly everything becomes very, very dark. Uh, if the moon's out, it's covered with clouds. And then you see this light a bright light. And some people say that uh, witnesses have said they've seen uh, flame shooting out of the smokestack as this phantom train appears. And if you wait there long enough, I think I would have bugged out long before that. <laughs> um, they say that you'll see this train go by uh, and there is a a car with a coffin in the American flag is draped over it. And there are a squad of civil war soldiers. Sometimes they're described as ghosts. Sometimes they're described as skeletons kind of, uh, guarding this casket. And so the legend has it that this is, uh, Abraham Lincoln's funeral train and it's a ghost train. And that's, that's really the story with that one. And th this was, uh, of course, the age of the steam engine. So this was a big black steam engine, uh, and it would have fire, no doubt, belching out of its smokestack. Mm -hmm. uh, and so – and this train, is the funeral train back in 1865, as you detail in the book, it stopped through something like 400 different communities. Right. So is – and the and the that particular rail line is still in existence, is it? Is it used by other trains today? Well, that's that's the real uh, key to it because parts of it are still being used and parts of it aren't. So uh, there are some parts of the legend say that all you have to do is be in that area where it went through. And have you uh, have you tried to retrace the uh, the the, uh, the journey of that funeral train? Have you have you been able to determine sort of where the most sightings of this ghost train are along its route? That's a that's an interesting question because this seems to be more in the ghost lore realm. Um, what you do, what you find, is sort of a general kind of story. Not that I could find, I couldn't find any specific site where people had claimed to have actually seen this. And you know, I I did some uh, kind of deep dive into it to try to find a person who would tell this story. But what I find is kind of uh, uh, 
a bunch of stories about the train itself, but not tied to a certain location. And in this case, I think it is one way that uh, these ghost stories, these railroad ghost stories, tell both the history of the railroad as well as the history of some key events in American history. And in this case, it's Abraham Lincoln's um, uh, assassination and death, and it pays homage to him. That's that's as near as I can tell. I've never been able to find a first-person witness to anything like this. In general, though, why are railroads so haunted, do you suppose? You know, that's that's really the key question for me, because as I write these things, uh, and again, I'm usually mystified when I start off that, um, you know, I, I find all these stories about these you know, essentially what would be an industry. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I go into it thinking maybe there's a few I'm really going to have to dig, but there's so many. And I think with, with, uh, I have a couple theories about, uh, haunted railroad history. I mean, the first thing that I think needs to be said is just how dangerous railroading was and still is. And, you know, I always put this out there when I'm talking about these ghost stories. I, I know there's a lot of ghost hunters out there. This is something you really have to be super cautious of because the railroad is still a dangerous business. But, you know, back uh, back in, in history, throughout history, it was even more dangerous, probably much more dangerous. You know, as an aside, I remember going to my grandfather's house and he would have these railroad union magazines. And I always remember seeing uh, many, many ads in these railroad magazines for uh, artificial arms and legs and hooks and things like that because it was so dangerous. And, and someone getting uh, their arm cut off or, their, or decapitated probably wasn't that uncommon. So, of course, when there's danger, when there's death, you're going to have ghost stories. Uh, and, you know, also there were a lot, there were a lot of, um, train robberies that also kind of, uh, uh, magnified this effect. And, you know, if you talk to a lot of the paranormal theorists, they'll tell you that these deaths, these accidents, this high intensity kind of life, uh, can actually imprint itself on, on time and space. So that's one likely reason why either we tell these stories to kind of commemorate um, these accidents and the, these this violence, or you know the paranormal theorists will actually tell you that that's one of the reasons why we're seeing ghosts as it reenacts over and over again. Uh, a lot of times, uh, I bring up in the book about residual hauntings, and that that's certainly a part of this. You know, another fact is that there were a lot of heroes. Uh, in the in railroad history, uh, engineers who saved the lives of their passengers after an accident—that's a theme that that pops up. But I have a peculiar theory about these stories. And uh, when I researched haunted rock and roll and and also haunted World War II, the thing that pops up in my mind all the time is this uh, elevation of consciousness. That certain things like music, like the terror of war, elevates our consciousness and makes us more maybe susceptible or more open to supernatural phenomena. So 
what's so consciousness raising about trains? I'm sure that's one of the questions people ask. But you have to remember, first of all, that trains changed our ideas of time and space. What used to take days suddenly only took hours, transportation-wise, getting supplies and goods across the country. That changed how we really looked at time and space. So I think that has kind of a consciousness-shocking aspect of it. But the other thing is, and this comes up quite a bit, is just the economic vitality that railroads provided and still provide to to communities. I mean, communities could be uh, absolutely devastated uh, if they weren't close to a railroad line or the railroads didn't get through. And so you have this um, industry that is so important lifeblood comes up all the time. And so that's why I think railroads, trains, uh, beyond just the mystique that they have that you commented on and that I've recognized, beyond that mystique, I think there's real reasons why that this profound change in transportation also kind of changes the way we look at life and death. Uh, We're just rolling into a a break here shortly, just a a couple minutes, but uh, are there certain towns and cities uh, that seem to be more haunted in terms like railroad towns are there what are the most haunted railroad towns and cities yeah there are a few and uh, i know this is going to sound biased and i'm a little prejudiced but uh, altoona pennsylvania seems to be one of the the towns that either is the most haunted or has the uh, highest number of people who document these things because there are several stories about uh, the Railroad Museum um, in Altoona is uh, allegedly haunted. A lot of stories about that. Uh, nearby Altoona, right outside of Altoona, is this incredible architectural feat called Horseshoe Curve. That's haunted. And then there's a lot of ghost lore associated with all those lines around there. So I would say Altoona, I, Ogden, Utah, believe it or not, has a lot of... Um, haunted um, paranormal phenomena attached to railroad, train stations, and and things like that. And also Savannah, Georgia, I noticed, is uh, pretty active with railroad ghosts. All right. We'll uh, take a time out. When we come back, we'll uh, get into some specific stories. Haunted Railways with Matt Swain right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We're talking Haunted Railways with Matt Swain. And you mentioned the Railroaders Memorial Museum in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Uh, what's happening there, Matt? Late at well, there, night. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff that, that goes on there. Probably... Uh, one of the most uh, famous stories that happened there uh, occurred when a uh, – and remember, this is uh, an organization, uh, organization staff with a lot of volunteers um, and, and some employees. And one of the employees was a finance director. And the finance director was the one who pretty much stayed late. 
uh, and he had an office, I think, in the fourth floor. And he tells the story that uh, it was, you know, pretty late, and he was getting out of his office, and he jumped into the elevator, and that's not so unusual. Uh, he did it every night, but this night was a little different. He saw what looked like a person uh, with his back to him. Uh, and when he entered the elevator, he was sort of surprised to see this figure. And then he, this uh, finance director said the uh, person turned around, looked at him, and smiled. And then there was sort of an electrical shimmy. And then this, this uh, uh, phantom just faded out. And so freaked out the uh, finance director pretty badly. The next day, he goes and he starts telling some of the volunteers uh, what he saw. And so they took him down to this uh, uh, section of the railroad that has a lot of pictures of the, the engineers and the workers and, and whatnot, historical photos, old black and white photos. And they take him to the room and they say, is he in any of these pictures? And this uh, finance director immediately pinpoints the one individual in the one picture and everyone who had uh, a run-in with this ghost um, concurred that that was the same uh, person that they saw. And this uh, fellow's name was Frank. And so since then, uh, the Railroaders Museum has has talked about the ghost of Frank. Uh, you know, I talked to a ghost hunter. There's there's a few paranormal investigative teams that are allowed to uh, either lead tours or do their own investigations. Uh, they're pretty careful with who they let in. I talked to a couple that um, led some of those investigations and some of those tours, and they had other stories beyond this idea of Frank. They say that there are several uh, ghosts in that area, and uh, one is Frank, but there's a few others, and they say it, it, it may be related both to the railroad history uh, of this building, which I think was a shop at one point, uh, and I think some offices were there. But it, also at one time, it was uh, kind of an impromptu uh, police station. If you know anything about railroad workers, they were kind of a hard living, uh, and they were also kind of a a hard drinking lot. So they at one point had this as both a little bit of a hospital and a, and a little bit of a police station. So a lot of that, according to these ghost hunters, a lot of that residual energy is still in that place. And do they tend to be residual hauntings? In other words, the, the, the ghost is, seems to be an echo or a memory. It doesn't have consciousness that you can interact with. Yeah, it, it seems to be that way. Although, you know, at times, these stories kind of blend. Um, for instance, the finance director, that almost feels like a, an intelligent haunting to me, too, where it recognized this this fellow's uh, presence and turned around to face him and even made you know some facial gestures, a smile in some of the stories. That's how it's, it's described. So you do see a blend of... of uh, but overwhelmingly, I would agree with you. I would say they're more residual than anything. Uh, we mentioned ghost trains 
earlier with the uh, Abraham Lincoln ghost train, funeral train. There's a Canadian story uh, as well regarding a ghost train. I think it was actually even commemorated in a postage stamp. And it's the, uh, I think it's the St. Louis or St. Louis Saskatchewan ghost train. Yeah, that that actually made its way onto uh, a postage stamp. And that's a that's a little bit uh, of a story about um, uh, ghost lights and a little bit of story about a ghost train. Now, the ghost lights are seen by a lot of the people in that area. Uh, Again, it's it looks like a big white light, a big orb of white light. But in some in some of the stories, uh, they also see a little red light, which which they claim is also the caboose. Um, and there are a few stories attached to this this phenomena. One is that uh, there was a conductor killed during a, a robbery. Uh, the train had stopped for, I think, in some some reason or another. I think maybe because of snow, and uh, some robbers had had targeted this and the conductor died in a struggle. Another is that it's a, um, it's an accident victim. But again, we have a similar story where you see this light phenomena and a lot of people say that this is actually a ghost train. And um, well, the fact that it's been commemorated in a, on a stamp, uh obviously this this ghost story has some legs so uh, have there been a lot of witnesses to this there are uh, quite a few of witnesses of this phenomena uh over the years and of course there's a lot of um people witnesses who come forward who say they see the light there are a lot of people who try to debunk it a lot of skeptics go after that And then there's kind of like this counter debunking, I guess, if that's a term, where uh, they take the skeptic's point of view and then they say, well, that can't be it either. I know in a lot of these cases, they say that the lights are actually maybe a a car um, beyond, uh, you know, up the tracks a little, crossing the tracks or something like that. In this case, they say that the phenomena went way before when there were roads in those areas and that it's seen in different places. Now that doesn't necessarily rule out atmospheric phenomena, but uh, you know, according to a lot of the witnesses, they're pretty sold that they have seen that. And so, yeah, there are, there are a lot. In fact, I think in this case, I think the mayor even said that he saw this phenomena. Uh What's the most haunted part of the train? Do you know? Is there uh, any any pattern? Is it a passenger car? Is it the engine car? Is it the caboose? Well, they're they're all pretty haunted. In, in my opinion, though, it's actually the caboose. Uh, and I I do have a theory about that. And first of all, you know, uh, there's a few really really intense uh, ghost stories that occur in cabooses and. The one that I read, I found a historical account from probably the early 20th century, late 19th century, uh, and this occurs in uh, Kentucky. And the number of the caboose was 17736, and this is became an infamous uh, caboose because there was an apparition of a lady that was seen in the caboose. Uh, appeared like she was crying at times, and it, it probably wouldn't be that significant of a ghost story because, like I said, 
a lot of ghost stories about all these different sleeper cars, freight cars, engines, all, all of this. But the conductor who uh, witnessed this phenomenon was actually a skeptic to begin with. And when he saw it and he observed it for not just a flash of a second or two, but over what what sounded like maybe a minute or so. And his impression was uh, that it was an actual full-bodied apparition and that what he tried to do was immediately try to debunk it. He tried to look at, was it lighting? Was there someone who snuck on board? And he could not find a real reason for this. And the, the, um, the story is pretty intense that, that I found. Now, the story, why this, this um, caboose was haunted, it sounds like this woman, her husband died uh, in an accident that involved this caboose. Um, and then there's another story called the old 1908, which is a caboose uh, that was once part of the Louisville and Nashville train line. And in this case, this it almost seemed like the caboose itself was possessed. They said even when it was still, it would shake or suddenly lurch. And at one point in a train station on a flat, uh, I'm sorry, in a flat uh, station – uh, a rail yard, it became, uh, and again, remember, cabooses aren't self-propelled. Somehow, this caboose went up the track a, a long distance, up an incline, and then threw itself uh, off the tracks. And when the crew came to rest to uh, to recover this caboose, they found that the, the brakes were still set. So there, there's that where not only they really didn't see an apparition, but they, the, the entire caboose seemed to be a spirit in itself. In my opinion, uh, if you're going to have one car that is most like a home, it would be the caboose. So uh, this is the area where the conductors lived and worked and, and traveled. And to me, it seems more like almost like haunted house than, than anything that the, the train could put out there. That's fascinating. We're, we're going to take a time out now. But, uh, you know, and sadly, cabooses uh, are sort of a, a, a thing of a bygone era. They've right. replaced them because the brake man used to be in the caboose. And now they've, I guess, basically uh, replaced the whole caboose with a little black box. It's all yeah. computer. Uh, however, uh, Matt, stay put. We'll come back and uh, discuss more haunted rails, tales of ghost trains, phantom conductors, and other railroad spirits right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Haunted Rails. Matt Swain is here. How do we get a copy of the book, Matt? Uh, best bet is to go onto Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Uh, make sure if you go down to your independent bookseller, you let them know that it's out there and see if they'll bring it in for you. Now, as you described earlier, some of these uh, ghost stories are just that likely. They're legends. Mm -hmm. They're ghost stories. But occasionally, uh, there seems to be some significant physical evidence to back up these these stories. And one such case takes place in Duffy's Cut, a section of railroad near Malvern, Pennsylvania. Tell me about this. Yeah, that's that's probably 
the most fascinating for me uh, story in the book because it has, you know, as you mentioned, I, I always and I try to be very upfront and say a lot of this is ghost lore, you know, folklore based on ghosts and 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 spirits. But I think this story gives you a key to something a little bigger. And the story is that there were two brothers uh, who every Thanksgiving would sit and listen to their grandfather tell them uh, uh, ghost stories. But probably the most famous ghost story he would tell them happened in this Duffy's Cut. And he told them that, uh, and it was true, he was a secretary for the railroad. And part of his job was to collect these ghost stories from uh, people who claimed that they would be walking by this Duffy's Cut and they would see these strange things. And uh, one that they mentioned uh, in the account is that uh, one fellow was walking by that Duffy's Cut and he saw lights that seemed to be dancing, different colors, red and blue uh, in this area. And he told the the boy's grandfather that this was the spirit of these Irish uh, people and these Irish workers who were who were slain there. And um, the the overall impression to uh, at least the the grandfather was this was ghost lore. This was merely folklore and that there was no real truth to it. But the two brothers decided that they were actually going to try to find out the truth. So they, along with some uh, actual anthropologists from a nearby university, uh, did a dig in this area where there, these ghost sightings were. And sure enough, they found what seemed to be uh, a mass grave of about 57 people. And uh, there were stories that these were victims of cholera. And there are other stories because uh, the, the team uncovered what seems to be evidence that some of these people were shot. So here you have ghost lore uh, of an area that turns out to have some real, you know, honest to goodness research evidence behind it that something happened in that area that either was collected and put into the collective conscience, consciousness of these people in that area or that there, there is something really there. Uh, and then later on, these uh, anthropologists, uh, I think, I think they teamed up with some paranormal researchers who also investigated it more of a, as a as a paranormal thing to try to find try to contact the spirits. It did, sorry, but did they actually uncover bones? Did they? Did they? Yes. Did? Yeah. They sorry. Did. I, yeah. The, it was a it was a mass grave, uh, and it appeared that some of the the um, these skeletons, some of the bones uh, and skulls had uh, what looked to be uh, uh, bullet bullet marks and bullet holes. And so, and again, this mass grave was located right beneath where these orbs had been seen, correct? Yeah, yes, exactly where it was. So it'd be interesting to note when, and, and I'm assuming that once they located these these bones, I don't know, did they did they leave them where they were or did they give them a, a, a proper burial in a cemetery? Do you know? I think if I'm recalling the story correctly, I think they did give it give them a Catholic burial in that area. And and then did the sightings of these orbs continue or did it stop? 
I well, I haven't heard any any fresh stories that came out of there. That you know, that might be that they just haven't been documented. Right. Or in other words, maybe the the, the orbs or the ghosts were trying to atten- draw attention, you know, to a crime. We're here. We're buried under here. They wanted people to know. Yeah, and that seems to be uh, the results of that paranormal investigation. Seem to be more like that. They were talking about the boss uh, who was in charge there, who worked them uh, pretty hard, almost to death. Uh, so, so that kind of came up during that aspect of it. But it's an interesting blend of anthropology and and you know paranormal investigation, which uh, you don't encounter a lot. Uh, when you're researching these books. Uh, The great science fiction writer, Philip K. Dick, um, he had an experience with a ghost train as well, didn't he? Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, uh, and this one was pretty cool for me too, because I've always been a Philip K. Dick fan. And uh, if you read uh, Philip K. Dick's uh, opinion about paranormal phenomena, it kind of goes back and forth a lot of times he seems like he embraces it and other times he's uh, seems to be a skeptic but the story about haunted rails that that occurred to him was that he he and his wife at the time lived in a town port reyes uh in california and uh, according to his wife who writes this uh Anne, his wife at the time who wrote this uh biography autobiography uh, about Philip K. Dick, she said that he would complain constantly uh, at night uh, when he tried to sleep, and he was kind of a noted insomniac. He said he could hear the this wail of of uh, of a train uh, going through this area, and of course, you know, uh, Anne basically kind of debunked it, said it was the wind, that there was no trains in the area. Matt, what I got to pardon my oh, interruption. I got to yeah. take a time out. We'll leave okay. this as a cliffhanger and okay. we'll uh, get to the rest of the Philip K. Dick ghost train story on the other side. Matt Swain stays right with up. us. Haunted Rails right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with Matt Swain, the author of Haunted Rails. That's the latest. Before the break, we were talking about. Uh, science fiction author Philip K. Dick, uh, who lived in Point Reyes Station, California, and was an insomniac and would complain about being kept awake at night by the sound of a distant uh, train whistle or train horn. Uh, and, uh, well, you continue with the story, Matt. Sure. It was so uh, Anne said that there was no trains in the area. But, in fact, there were – it was, it was uh, you know, crisscrossed with – uh, lines uh, back in the day uh, that had since been uh, taken out. And there is actually a story of a ghost train in that area. And it deals with a engineer whose daughter either eloped or was abducted. And in a fit of vengeance, this engineer climbed into his train and took off screaming into the night trying to find her. And that years later, people claimed to hear this whistle and the steam from this engine erupting. And so there is kind of a connection between this little bit of ghost lore and, and keeping poor Philip K. Dick up at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is 
you mentioned one ghost train story from Canada, but is it primarily an American or a North American phenomenon, ghost uh, ghost uh, trains and haunted rails, or is it worldwide? It, it seems to be worldwide. It seems, at least as far as I could tell, uh, the U.S., Canada, and, and in Europe. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the U.K., there are a lot of ghost stories that deal with the subway system, the tube there. I would say the tube is probably more haunted than most of the above-ground trains. Uh, and I've found uh, ghost trains or in in uh, Sweden. There's the story there of this silver bullet that people claim to see that was a very distinctive car that was taken out of commission. It had It was very distinctive because it was – uh, silver and most of the cars there were were green, and people say that it appears at times. And also in the UK, you also find a lot of these stories about um, areas where the elemental spirits were disturbed by um, the the creation, uh, the construction of of railroads, and that they seem to uh, take their vengeance out by. Um, there's one story about a demon train that goes across, I think, Scotland, um, and they claim it's it's really run by these elemental spirits that are are disappointed that uh, they were not appeased when they put this um, this uh, railroad system through their their area, their territory. Uh, we're familiar with, of course, the Orient Express and uh, the Agatha Christie. Uh, novel based on that murder on the Orient Express. Do you have any any uh, ghost stories from the Orient Express? I I don't, but uh, you know, now that you mentioned it, that's an obvious one that I should have looked into. But I I don't even re- recall really looking into that. But uh, maybe for the sequel. Uh, and I'm guessing there will be one uh, because you you um, you started off thinking I may not have enough to. To pull a, a book together, and then you end up, of course, with too many. Right. Um, is there a what would be the the uh, the creepiest uh, train a haunted train story that we haven't heard tonight so far? Yeah, there's a bunch, but uh, for me, the, there's a story of uh, also a, a, another town in Pennsylvania called Austin, Pennsylvania, and uh, this occurred, I think, early 20th century. Um, uh, the story is that uh, there was a train yard uh, in in this near this town, and um, the the uh, workers would see this very strange figure. And the way they described it was pretty eerie. This tall, thin, abnormally tall, thin man dressed all in black. And of course, they would try to chase him out of the the train yard. And when they gave chase to him, they talked about how he kind of slithered through these cars uh, and that how he could jump into the boxcar and out the other side. And by the time the, the workers would get there to chase him off further, he was absolutely gone. And these uh, sightings occurred for weeks. And then there was a collapse of a dam just above town, uh, the, the, and the resulting flood killed, uh, I think a few dozen, uh, of the townsfolks. And then the, the, um, the sighting suddenly stopped. And for me, it reminded me one, uh, of the Mothman prophecy, which I read as a kid, uh, that, uh, this strange 
Mothman would appear, and then there was this bridge collapse. And it also gave me, kind of the way they described it, felt to me like the Slender Man entity that was talked about, you know, just a a decade or so ago. Right, or Spring-Heel Jack. Spring-Heel Jack as well. Yes, also, yeah. So I think that's one of the creepiest ones for me. And um, are there other haunted objects we mentioned uh, cabooses and we mentioned engine the engine and so forth other just objects related to the railway that ha- that that can be haunted yeah there's actually there's a lot of stories about haunted tunnels uh seems to come up quite a bit uh they can be uh tunnels where there were accidents sometimes there can be incidences in one of the stories there was uh, uh, allegedly a murder near the tunnel, and it's somehow these spirits are, are trapped in this tunnel. So there's tunnels. There's also bridges that are apparently haunted. One's called the Screaming Bridge. I think that's in uh, Indiana, where a worker allegedly was uh, buried alive inside one of the pillars, and that you can hear him scream and try to get out, usually around Halloween. It's either good ghost lore or really, you know, a creepy ghost story. But uh, so all of those objects, uh, infrastructure are just as haunted as sometimes as the the station houses and the cars and railroad lore. Do you ride the train at all, Matt? I haven't. I haven't been on a train in uh, in decades, but uh, I. My wife and I really want to take uh, the train to New York City here one day. Uh, any uh, any reports about uh, uh, passenger trains uh, being haunted by the ghosts of other passengers? I have heard, and there are a few stories in the book of that. Uh, some of the sleeper cars, I think the Venasta uh, is the one that uh, I'm thinking about right now, where there are passengers who... Uh, still haunt haunt those those railroad cars. You know, one of the um, the uh, the scary things about the the current pandemic is that we might we may be heading into a, a severe severe recession if we're not already there, or maybe even a depression. Perish the thought. Mm. Uh, and and back you know during the the last depression, there were hundreds of thousands uh, of people. Well, maybe not hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of of men uh, who would, uh, in order to look for work, would hop aboard uh, trains, hitch a ride on a train. Uh, you know, they were called hobos and so forth, and they would um, often encounter. Uh, I think they used to call them the yard boss, the men mm-hmm. that were. Uh, equipped with a, a club and they were um, the yard boss did not treat these uh, uh, hobos very kindly. Are there any, any stories that you've collected or heard about uh, regarding uh, hobos and ghosts? Yeah. Some of the ghosts uh, in, in the book uh, there, there are a number of um, origins. So some people say they're conductors. Some people say they're, Workers. Some people say they're passengers. Some people say they're hobos. But probably the one of the most famous uh, is uh, Maury Graham, who was – I think he was like the five-time uh, hobo champion of, of the world. Uh, he allegedly haunts a caboose that's in a museum. I think it's called the, the Mad River Museum. I'd have to check on that. But, uh, you know, he was a hobo that uh, – 
really felt like they were uh, needed to be commemorated and, and they were a special group and that he his apparition has been seen uh, outside of that caboose. Now, I never got the sense of whether that caboose had special meaning for him or whether he visited that museum or anything like that. But that's that's one of the stories about the hobos. Haunted rails, tales of ghost trains, phantom conductors, and other railroad spirits. Once again, Matt, how do we get a copy? Oh, check it out on Amazon.com uh, or BarnesandNoble.com. You can also uh, go to my website, MattSwain.com. Uh, there's usually links there. Always a pleasure, Matt. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And yeah, let's do it again. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. That's it for me. Back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops, move over Aphrodite. I'm coming home or at least up the stairs. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.